0: Welcome to Talking Late Night, where we spotlight top comedians and their late night influences. Here's your host, Max Cantor.
1: Hey, everybody, and welcome to Talking Late Night. I'm your host, Max Cantor. Now, today on the show, I have a guest who is a stand-up comic in Atlanta. He co-hosts the sports podcast 4th and 10, along with David Perdue, who happens to be a former guest that I had on Talking Late Night a few episodes ago, and along with Nathan Owens. He's performed at festivals all over the United States and the world, and... Something that I found out that I think is super awesome. He was part of the team that opened the very first full-time maintained comedy club in China. The Kung Fu Comedy Club. That's awesome. I'm excited to learn from him and to talk to him. So please welcome to the show, Damon Sumner. Welcome to the show, Damon
0: Hey, appreciate it, man. I'm glad to be here. Appreciate you guys having me on.
1: Now, I'm excited to talk to you, not only because of the things that I met you too, but because, you know, we had an interview scheduled a couple weeks ago, and I mm-hmm. was sick. Yeah. And it was terrible, and I felt really bad canceling on you, but I was heavily incapacitated as I laid in bed suffering from whatever illness I was going through.
0: Listen, well, we're glad you're better now, man.
1: That's right I'm all good I'm here uh, you you sound fine yeah I, you don't sound sick so you're okay so together you know we're gonna do a really awesome show so to jump right into it um you know growing up as you're consuming comedy to kind of influence you what late night television are you watching that influences you in your comedy
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I think uh, it was interesting because, honestly, uh, I didn't really get into late night too early into it. And so growing up, a lot of things that I heard about wasn't coming from late, late night, specifically with comedy. But what happened was around uh, probably probably sixth grade, I went to my grandma's house for a summer, and uh, her favorite channel was CBS. And so we watched pretty much cbs all day in the summertime and so i kind of started watching uh letterman and so that's pretty much where it began for me was watching my favorite things was you know of course his monologues and the top 10 list the top 10 list was probably my favorite thing of the whole thing just because it was quick you know I'm saying it was just it just had punch you know it was easy and every time he crushed so that was getting a chance to kind of see uh, Letterman for that summer really kind of sparked my interest, just because when back when I went back home, I kind of was more intrigued about it, uh, but that's where it started, just being poor and uh, nowhere to go at my grandma's house in the summer, <laughs> of poor Louisiana, and then Letterman put me on.
1: So that was, was that the first time that you had seen comedy on television, or been exposed to it? Uh,
0: late night specifically, I had, you know, comedy, you know, comedic actors, like uh, Martin Lawrence and, and many other great shows, The Wayne Brothers and things like that. Uh, growing up, so I loved a lot of uh, comedy on TV. But specifically, when I was thinking about uh, Late Night, yeah, it didn't it didn't happen until that summer.
1: So, with the top ten list, because you said you know you liked it for the punch that it provided, uh, did mm-hmm. you ever try to write your own top ten list to replicate the effects that Letterman was having?
0: Uh kinda. I mean, I would I would do. Uh, you know, in middle school, the the cafeteria at high school was always key. You know what I mean, and so that was an opportunity to kind of uh, showcase and put on display and riff and and joke like that. So I was I was always trying to, um, you know, be witty and funny with my friends, and so I would. I'm I'll, I've always liked lists, and I guess now, kind of looking back, I think that's probably one of the places where it kind of began is that top ten list, kind of having uh, a lot of influence on me. Because like even now in our podcast, fourth and ten with Nathan and David we do we do like a top 10 list based off of different things we kind of come up with so it's definitely now looking back had a lot of influence uh even to today
1: that that's super cool how it carries you know in, in ways that you don't even expect like you were saying on the podcast today you're still it's still a top 10 list so that's cool that the the effect that that had on you that's pretty awesome um, yeah, yeah yeah so you were also you also mentioned Martin Lawrence and I think the Wayne's brothers right mm-hmm. uh yeah so apart from late night television what other comedy were you watching and being exposed to that influenced you
0: yeah uh yeah it was definitely a lot of, i mean i was a tv kid you know what i mean and so anything uh comedic on <laughs> classic channels like wb and old school upn mm-hmm. uh abc tgif i was eating all that up i mean <laughs> from martin the fresh prince the wayne brothers wb had a lineup one time that was ridiculous they had like steve harvey wayne's brothers smart guy sister sister jamie fox show uh it was just a banana lineup you know what i mean and they had barry was fresh prince which was classic tgif had uh family matters step by step and sabrina teenage witch and and so it was just a lot of comedy you know for me growing up so just always laughing and always watching i was like man this is something that I would love to do. This is something that I really enjoy doing myself is, you know, kind of bringing laughter to people. So, uh, going up just watching years of TV, you know, I just knew like, yo, there's I'm not sure there's much uh better thing there is than than making people laugh.
1: So, while you were watching it, you you knew that's what you wanted to do. Yeah,
0: you know, it was it was a thing for me early on. Uh, I mean, at one point, my, my, my I probably said my first dream job was I wanted to be an author. But there's never come anything close to me saying, yo, when I go to school or when I go into a, any type of setting, uh, I'm like, yo, I want to be, I want to be the funny dude. I want to make cats who know me and don't know me, you know, roll over with tears in their face. Uh, and when you get those moments and hold that straight face, you can't crack you all that straight face, and you're like, ah, this is it. This is golden.
1: So how young were you when you knew this? Because that, that, I mean, I've talked to a lot of comedians, and a lot of them don't really realize that they want to be comedians until later in life. But it sounds like you knew pretty early on.
0: Yeah, I definitely don't think I would say I knew I wanted to be a comedian because you know I don't think I kind of knew really what that meant. But I definitely knew early on that I wanted to be the guy who was making people laugh. Like I knew in elementary school, uh, you know, my first grade teacher, Miss Godwin, uh, shout out to her in <laughs> about elementary. And so, uh, you know, just making her laugh. When I knew I was making teachers laugh, I was like, Oh, okay, this is, this is, this is pretty fun. You know what I mean? And so just growing up as I went through school, cause that was kind of, you know, school is for, for a kid. That's, that's the showroom, you know, you gotta work hard. And then I get a chance to put on for my friends, especially if you are kind of this class clown type of guy. So that was the arena for me to kind of display, you know, my quote unquote talent.
1: Did your friends and classmates support you as you tried to make them laugh?
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was, uh, I mean, it was, it was uh, definitely encouraging for sure. Just in the sense of, you know, I was like, oh man, damn, you're so crazy, man. Oh damn, this is your hilarious, whatever. Like I remember one time in high school, it was kind of a humbling moment. We were talking about, uh, we were kind of encouraging, uh, each other in the classroom It was kind of a really kind of cool, uh, activity we were doing for our senior year and we had to go around and kind of just choose someone to kind of encourage. And a good friend of mine at the time, he was like, yo man, one person I kind of look up to, you know, and we're the same age. He was like, you know, it was me. He was just like, you know, he's always able to bring humor, regardless if it's a good time or a bad situation, he's there to kind of help uplift people with his jokes and with his, you know, and bring laughter to people, you know, and that's just something I really admire and appreciate, you know, and I know he's one day going to become a comedian or whatever, whatever. And in high school, I'm just like, whoa, like again, I've never thought about being a quote unquote comedian, but just kind of hearing that from peers, you know, was really humbling. So I think, it's definitely been, you know, people pushing me for a long time.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that support system so important, and it sounds like that you really had it. Uh, were you the only one of your friend group that, like, really paid attention to comedy and was interested in it, or were there a group of you?
0: Uh, I don't know if anybody else was probably as interested in comedy as me, but there's de- I definitely had a ton of funny friends. Like, I know, like, like that was, you know, that's been a big thing in school was just, like, if you got some friends, guy, girls who just can like roast and riff and kind of just go on tangents and just kind of egg on joke after joke after joke. Like I said, the high school cafeteria, the middle school cafeteria was where, you know, for 30 minutes you were just trying to eat your, you know, your, your free and reduced lunch pizza <laughs> and, and just try to laugh and laugh and just joke about anything, whether it was the class or, or the uh, drum line that wasn't great or the cheerleaders outfits or whatever the case may be. Um, so it was definitely a lot of, (laughs) it was a lot of, uh, if you will, peer pressure just to try to keep up because everybody was funny.
1: Right. Did you ever like try to copy jokes that you had seen done by like Martin Lawrence or or Jamie Foxx? Did you ever try to replicate them? No,
0: I never, I never did try to replicate them. I don't know if, you know, I definitely don't think, you know, I had to, uh, uh, just, uh, the thought process to really be like, oh, you know, I want to be original, but I definitely think that I kind of I saw that and kind of wanted that, but I kind of just tried to be me. And I've always loved telling stories. And so I think that's been one of the things that I've just personally kind of, uh, you know, settled with is just like trying to tell stories from my perspective. And and that's kind of been the ways I've been ever since.
1: Mm hmm. So when you when all you know at the end of high school, you graduate mm-hmm. and everyone's yeah. looking to go to college and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. but you, because uh, as we've talked about, you know, you're looking to become a comedian. so when you right. when you are approaching your graduation of high school and that big next life step, what's going through your mind? Like what did you want to do? Uh,
0: when I graduated high school, yeah I wanted to uh, actually be a, a sports anchor for ESPN. Oh. i had a yeah yeah. i went to school i went to a magnet school that had a i went to a high school that had a, a television and production magnet program and oh. so i had stopped playing football and sports or whatever for the most part and i had like i had loved sports and loved writing so i wanted to combine that and so esbn uh you know i uh, had an anchor called stuart scott which was a dude i looked up to who's passed away um but he was he was he was fun he was witty you know what I'm saying he was cool and so it was kind of this great merger. I was like, oh, this is great. I can kind of, you know, bring bring the wit while also still have my love for sports. So when I, when I left school, again, I wasn't even thinking about really taking comedy and doing anything with it for real professionally. Um, but, you know, that kind of came down the line.
1: So in order to become like a – like that's a very unique profession to aspire to mm-hmm. be a, a sports anchor. So like mm-hmm. – Do you go to school to become a sports anchor? And, like, if you do, what's the potential major? Like, what do you learn?
0: Yeah, so I I majored in electronic news, which was kind of new uh, when I did it back in the mid-2000s. And so just really, one, you know, sports, getting to that level of the sports anchor, at least from my perspective, it was was definitely an uphill battle in the sense of you were going to be a reporter. You know, you were going to be working on random beats. So you have to write well. You have to edit well. You know, you have to be good on-air talent. Mm -hmm. And then you kind of move up to become, you know, on air talent and and become an anchor. Uh, You know, you start on the not so popular shifts and you kind of work your way up. But, you know, I went to school and studied basically journalism and just kind of just learn how to be a good journalist. Because essentially, again, I'm just kind of communicating these stories, telling these stories. Uh, And so that was that was going to be the end goal for sure.
1: Where did you go to college?
0: Uh, I went to the University of North Texas. And so, you know, I'm originally from Shreveport, Louisiana. And then I moved back and forth two or three times with my family. But then I ended up going to a school in Den, Texas, uh, about, about an hour north of Dallas.
1: Okay. So yeah. while, while you're in college, are you still looking to, uh, like, like when did you start getting involved with stand-up or just with mm-hmm. comedy?
0: Yeah. Yeah, so I didn't get involved or even think about comedy until I graduated college. And then I moved to Atlanta with my wife. And we get here and uh, David Perdue, former guest of, of your show. Uh, we we kind of connect and we kind of meet up and uh, you know, both of us are kind of just riffing, having a good time. And somehow some way people had in our, in our friend circles had encouraged both of us independently to try stand up. We both kind of shared this story. We're like, yo, let's do this together, right? And so we signed up for the same mic, same open mic at the same club for the same night. And that's kind of how we both started together. You know what I mean uh seven years seven years ago uh in october twenty seven and so two thousand ten and so it's it's been a journey uh David and myself have come a long way uh well yeah, it didn't start till I graduated college and moved all the way back moved to the a
1: okay so what what brought you here
0: uh to Atlanta well myself and probably about twenty about 20 other uh, families and people from from Texas we actually moved from then Texas to Atlanta to help start. Uh, inner-city church plan. so that's what kind of actually moved us all the way from texas to atlanta at the college
1: Oh, that's very cool. So so really I mean comedy was not even on the radar yet for you
0: Oh, no comedy. I wasn't I wasn't thinking about comedy professionally in the slightest
1: Wow, so yeah, how did you uh, meet David? Where did you guys connect?
0: We connected originally uh, at the church. We were kind of planning here and so uh, we were kind of going at the same time for a little bit and just kind of friends, you know, friends of friends. And then we kind of, I don't know if it was at the church one time um, or or if it was just kind of at another event. And we kind of just hit it off and then just started talking about interest. And comedy, for sure, was definitely one of the main ones.
1: Okay. And and wow. you mentioned, because um, you said the date, didn't you, October 27th? October
0: 27th, yeah. Yep.
1: And I think that's so interesting because in my interview with David – he said the date, too, and he talked about how important that date was to him. So mm. for you, why is it important to remember the, the first day, the specific day?
0: Uh, you know, I think it's, I think it's a cool, for a couple of reasons. I think, one, um, it was kind of beginning of a, of a new journey. I think at that time moving here to Atlanta, uh, a lot was going on in my life where I didn't fully really know what I wanted to do long term. I had moved here. The recession was kind of heavy, and, you know, I was trying to be a a journalist, and they really weren't having any entry-level journalist positions opening during the recession, so I had to take a job working with kids up in, uh, kind of out of the city, and I was just like, man, I don't know what I want to do. I had a wife who was pregnant, you know, so we just had a lot of things going on. I was like, man, what do I want to do? What do I love? What am I passionate about? What, what, what excites me? You know what I mean? And so, you know, more than anything, I kind of reflected back. I read a book by an author named John The called Quitter, and kind of just kind of all these things kind of culminated, um, then meeting David to hitting that mic, and then it just kind of clicked. It kind of was like, oh, okay, this is it. And from that day, um, it, it kind of just began this journey uh, that's led me around the world and led me to meet great people and and experience great things and, and provide for my family. And so that date is, is a really special date uh, in my life for sure.
1: Wow. And I think too it just shows, you know, how how crazy life is. How, you know, you met this random guy in David Perdue and like, mm-hmm. you know, you could have you could have not met him or you could have met somebody else. You know, like everything lined up so perfectly to put you in the place where you are today. Oh
0: yeah. If I would've met a bad comic bro, it would have been down here. We would not be doing this interview. <laughs> it's just really it's really interesting. I'm really grateful for that man, just because David and I we've uh, we've had uh you know, we're very similar but we're very different and those are those are both good things just because we push we push each other and so it just it did. It all just kinda of fell together and uh, and I'm just like whenever I see you know younger comics now who i'm like all right there's something there. there's you know there's a the determination there's that fight there's that you know willpower to be great or whatever i'm just like all right you know let's let's see if we can link up
1: right right for sure do you remember i mean how vividly do you remember the first time walking up on stage and grabbing mm-hmm. that mic and facing mm-hmm. out to the crowd
0: yeah i remember that night for sure i mean the skull is in my opinion uh best club uh in the city for sure um and I had a lot of friends there David had a lot of friends there um and so I go up there and it was exciting you know and I still have the video I haven't watched the video in probably years but you know looking back at it I was just like what was I doing you know but you know nobody knows what they're doing I'm pacing the whole stage like Chris Rock I, I fall down in one of the jokes I'm just like this is terrible uh, well, you know, it gets some laughs or whatever, and uh, and then you know the next three times are going bomb. But you know, we live and we learn.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you remember the first joke that you ever wrote? Oh,
0: the first joke I ever wrote. Ooh, that is a good question. You know, I think the first joke I ever wrote was this bad joke. It was. I mean, it was. It wasn't true, so that was already part of the problem. <laughs> but. uh it was just about 'cause I'm not I'm not the biggest guy, uh, standing up. And so uh I basically had a joke about a guy, uh a guy was following me around a Walmart and I was kinda nervous while he was following me around and uh I kinda go through go through the band section, I go through the kids section and he kinda he kinda follows me and kinda corners me, I'm like, Yo, what's up? And he's just like, Man, I just you know, I wanted to I wanted to know if you would help me tie my shoes because, you know, uh, it's here much closer than I am. He was like this tall dude. It was a very terrible joke, and I'm not proud of it. And I appreciate you having me tell it on this podcast. But, you know, we've come, we've come a long way from trying to see what people think will be funny to what really matters to us.
1: Right. And, you know, I think it's so interesting, too, that you mentioned that, you know, you, you're like, that joke's not funny because it's not true. And yeah. I, I think— you know, for me, that that rings true to me, uh, especially because I read Kevin Hart's autobiography, read the whole thing. Okay. And okay. Um, th- one of the biggest career moments in his life is mm. when Keith Robbins says to him, um, "You gotta, you gotta start telling the truth about your life." Mm. And that like unlocked it for him, and that that was the moment, and you can read it in like in the book, you can tell that was the moment that Kevin Hart went from good to great was yeah. because he was being truthful yeah it's i i it's 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 important
0: yeah yeah i've heard I've heard good things about it. I'm about to put that on my on my uh reading list for this year. I think that's true, I think truth you one you want to be original, and nothing's gonna be more original than you being truly yourself. Right. And my wife always attests to that. And so, you know, the best the best things uh, a lot of times come for from honesty and their vulnerability. Um, and so, you know, I mean, Kev, you know, the, from that first special from Laugh, you know, grown little man, you know, until now selling out stadiums. Essentially, uh, I mean, I, I don't, I definitely don't doubt that that was the Faulkner began to swing his career to the next level. But I don't think there's much anything much better and as a as a up than writing original content and it just it's just going great like it's cuz it's you it's personal it's honest you know what I mean and and it's real you know and I feel like that's going to lead to a level of connection and relatability that a really good non-true joke would just because it's really who you are it's really what you've been through
1: mm-hmm. and so you you mentioned <laughs> you know being great and I want to go back a little bit cuz you talked about how your first set uh, ever went really well and then you bombed the next three times so mm-hmm. when you get up there i mean for the second time i know what you're thinking you get up there and you're like yeah i killed it the first time here is about to be another home run oh, and then sure. and then it doesn't go well so how do you mentally recover from that especially when mm-hmm. it wasn't just one time you said it was three times how do you yeah. mentally recover from that
0: uh you know it changes over time i mean because at first for myself it every time I bombed, it destroyed me internally. You know, you would smile it off and they would say, "Get set," you know, because I want to be respectful. But everybody knows you you bombed, and and you would drive home, and you would emotionally eat, and you did not <laughs> want to talk about anything. It would be a whole ordeal. And so, but I think I think you find out real quick if you want to if you want to keep doing this for real. Like you find out real quick because you're gonna bomb a lot, and not just in the past tense, but in the present and the future tense. <laughs> Because you're always constantly trying to turn and make new material, and that material's got to get worked out. And so, um, you know, I think at the beginning it, it, it ate you alive, and then you get to a point, you get to a point where you're just like, this isn't only for them, like this is also for me as well. And so, and then also at the end of the day, understanding just kind of really how things work, like a mic. Once you understand that a mic is for you, is is the gym, it's the workout room then your, your whole perspective on mics are different.
1: Mm-hmm. And then
0: once you kind of understand, in my opinion, how, you know, that you're you're doing a showcase, you're doing, all right, I'm featuring or I'm hosting. Once you kind of understand the roles that you're in, then you can kind of cater to, you know, then kind of cater to that role for that specific show. Mm-hmm. Um But essentially you got to just be willing to just have thick skin and keep bouncing back because, you know, even the polished stuff on any given night, they'll be like, no, not feeling that. And you're like, wait, this just... Destroy, you know, for six straight shows in another city. Well, we don't like it. You know what I mean? And so, even just understanding, all right, well, you know, you can't, you can't, one, you can't win them all. And two, that's not even really the main goal is to quote unquote try to win them all. You know what I mean?
1: Right, right. Yeah. I think when it comes to stand up too, it has a lot to do with, you know, as the comic, you just have to believe in yourself and believe in right. the material that you're putting out there.
0: Yeah, I think, that's, I think that's ultimately, you know, what it's going to boil down to because you got to be willing to, you know, uh, take all the feedback and criticism that, that comes with it, whether it's a joke about, you know, saying your spouse or something a little more, you know, taboo, if you will. And mm-hmm. so long as long as, again, if you're honest and real with that and it's coming from a place that you feel is true and genuine, then you just got to be like, hey, this is what it is. It's is my perspective. You know what, mm-hmm. what I mean? My goal is to try to make it funny, but you know this this is it's coming from me, and you just got to take that.
1: Mm-hmm. So you're a seven year veteran in stand up, and then this October 27th you'll be an eight year veteran. Um, how long did it take you to find your own comedy voice?
0: Ooh, still looking, Max. Still looking. <laughs> um, you know, I think that's a question that, that is definitely always being asked. Um, you know, I think. Uh, I read in an article one time, Bill Burr from a couple years ago, he said it took him a decade. You know, maybe it was hyperbole, maybe it wasn't. I think, I definitely think there's more bits right now for myself personally that I feel like aren't like full voice that are, but I think my newest stuff, like if I was doing new 15 minutes, I feel like that is is the close. like whatever I have that's new right now for a new 15, I feel like, all right, I'm really getting a chance to be fully Damon on stage. I'm really getting a chance to really kind of bear who I am, you know, in totality on stage, you know? Cause a lot of times, you know, you start out, you're just trying to be funny. You're just trying to get laughs. You're trying to, you know, make comics laugh. You're trying to make your friends laugh who come out to your shows once or twice and then they fade away and they lose friendships. <laughs> and then you're just trying to make bar, strangers in bars laugh. And And then once you get to a point where you're not just trying to make other people laugh, um, and then it begins to kind of change, and so I feel like last few years is, is beginning to get that to that point. But I definitely think I've got a, a good ways to go in the sense of saying, "All right, I'm gonna go do my hour, and this hour is fully me, the way it wants to be."
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, what when it when it comes to joke writing, what's mm-hmm. your writing process? Mm-hmm. Whoo, I
0: am, you know. <laughs> Whenever I meet somebody who, like, writes, like, great jokes, like, boom, 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 I applaud that, man. I applaud that because I'm like, that is not, that's not me. And I I don't think that's a, uh, that's not a bad thing for sure. But, like, that process has also changed over time. I remember David and I, uh, when we first started, we would actually meet up and write with notebooks and pens and paper. Mm -hmm. We would go through this uh, book by Judy Carter called The Comedy Bible. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of, it was kind of like a, a uh, comedy class in a book, basically. And we went through it and we worked through the the structure and the act out, the mix, the act out and set up punch, and we did all that, man. And you know, it 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 kind of kept us for a little bit, but essentially going back to voice and going back to, you know, truly you on stage, you kind of kind of begin to morph into how your cadence and your and your flow and your delivery goes, and so. I think for me now, uh, like when I when I try to write I, something just pops up a lot of times like a thought pops up, premise pops up, um I had to try to write it down. I do everything now electronically with Google Drive. Mm-hmm. And um and so so I just try to always have access to it. And so I just write it down and if I get any other notes I'll write it down. I may do voice memos in the car or something like that. And then I'm I'm a very kinda more, if you will, a traditional dude when it comes to writing. A lot of a lot of comics don't sit down and write as much in my, in my experience as I do. But like I'll sit down, you know, if I've got time for an hour, a couple times a week and just try to write, like just try to just like, just really just flow out thoughts. I'm trying to be funny when I write, but then I'm also just trying to get thoughts on paper. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, so that's kind of just, if I'm doing something observational, if I'm telling stories, like I love telling stories, then I'll just try to write the whole story and it'll be like, you know, eight to 10 minutes. And then I'll try to go back and add punches or this, that, and the other and add some tags and then go and just work it out on stage and bomb, 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 work it out on stage, listen to it, listen to it and, you know, re- do the cycle over and again until it's until it's somewhat polished,
1: mm-hmm. man. I will tell you, it takes a special type of person to be able to do that. Where you you get your writing and you go out and it doesn't get laughed, but you record yourself so you listen to it and then you rework it. and Then you go again. That I mean, it take it takes a work ethic to to do what you do. So I admire that.
0: Well, listen, I think I don't know if there's anything worse than listening to yourself bomb on tape <laughs> on the way home. It's definitely like it's just like ah uh, yeah, I get it. They weren't into that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's that's funny, um, so is a lot of your stand up you know, we've been talking about storytelling and especially how you like to tell stories in high school and all that is your stand up primarily storytelling based that's
0: where that's where I feel like it's heading um like I said, I feel like the the, the most uh or the the newer stuff is is definitely story heavy and um I feel like that's kind of where. I'm feeling, uh, for lack of a better more comfortable just because, you know, these stories I feel like are me and I want to share them. But then I also feel like they're universally relatable, like there's something that everyone can relate to about their first house party or, you know, uh, when their mom, uh, if you grew up in the 90s like me, left them in the car uh, for only two minutes. But it seemed like an eternity and just like all of these moments and just trying to flesh those out. And for people to be like, yeah, mm-hmm, I know what you mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what I'm saying. And so, and then there's just something fun and great to me um, about someone telling an engaging and hilarious story. Like, you know, Robert Junior and and Gary Goldman and uh, Mike Brabiglia, just like you know, just like great storytellers. Where you be like, man, this story has been going on for like 12 minutes but like this joint is amazing you know yeah yep. where you know is there's 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 kind of moments that go fast and go slow and then there's like four punches in a row then it kind of lulls for 25 seconds and then boom there's a huge punch line and and it's just kind of like just trying to figure all of that out pacing and you know this that and the other uh, it's something that I've really been enjoying as of late. Mm-hmm.
1: Wh- which comics uh, and and how many different comics do you like watching, uh, whether it be for inspiration or just for pleasure?
0: Oh man, a ton! I try to be, you know, I've definitely tried to be a student. Um, you know, what I'm saying of, of of the craft. Just, uh, just so much talent around around the country and around the globe. So like, I listen to a lot. Of, I listen to a lot of albums and watch a lot of specials and read articles and reviews. It's just because I'm, I'm just always trying to learn and just trying to, you know, I mean, it's all, I'm always inspired by people who are ahead of me. You know what I'm saying? Uh, just because I'm like, hey, I appreciate it. I see what you're doing. And that kind of motivates me. But I definitely, know, like I said, Robert Jr., Garrett Goldman, some of my favorite, Barbiculus, some of my favorite uh, dude in New York name, Nori Davis. I really love what he does. Uh, you know, uh, kind of some, some names that Mike, uh, Mark Norman, um, Lil Rel um, uh, Sarah Schaefer, uh, you know what I mean just some comics who uh, 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 Janelle James like just some comics who just kind of really inspire me just based off the way they write and the way that they're honest and the way that they even kind of tackle you know real issues you know what I'm saying but again it's not it's not a it's not a soliloquy you know what I'm saying it's still funny and hilarious but they kind of also get at some hard stuff as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's great to hear you talk about how even though you're accomplished, even though it's successful, the learning never stops, the education never stops, the studying of others never stops. Mm-hmm. You know? For sure. Um, and I think that's that's important, whether whether you're a stand-up or whether you're any other type of profession, I feel like the learning should never stop.
0: It can't stop, man. I mean, I think, you know, personally, just in general, but specifically with comedy, If you stop learning, if you start trying to, you know, evolve and keep getting better, you're done. You know what I'm saying, in my opinion? Like, I mean, even Seinfeld and Rock and Chappelle still are churning out new material, different ways, different delivery, this, that, and the other. You know, and not even just on the stage, but off the stage. Mm -hmm. Writing, screenplays, YouTube channels, this, that, and the other. Like, you constantly have to be evolving and growing as a comedian, as an artist. And so I think, you know, I mean, I'm always excited to... uh, watch you know watch shows and, and constantly keep learning it never gets old to me basically
1: mm-hmm. never so now uh i i have to ask you about this because like i said in the intro i read this on your website and sure. i was like what what no. what does this even mean when it talks about the kung fu comedy club uh, Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah okay um so i i'm just i'm just gonna let you take it away because yeah. Just, I, I need you to explain to me, you know, what is the Kung Fu Comedy Club?
0: Yeah. Uh, long story short, man, my wife and I, we uh wanted some adventure. So we decided to pack up uh, ourselves and our two-and-a-half-year-old son. We to Shanghai. And uh, we went over there to teach, essentially. But, you know, I was doing comedy for a few years. So I was like, yo, let me go out here and try to hit some mics and create some shows. Like, I was hungry. And I knew I couldn't take a year off. So um, I connect with some great comics there. Uh, you know, what I'm saying Turner Sparks, Andy Kern, Tammy Amig, uh, You know, what I'm saying uh, William Childress and and some other great uh, other great comics there. And they had they had like this room going, um, they had this you know come kung, kung fu comedy room going, and we would do some shows around. I connect with them, and we kind of travel around China a little bit doing shows. And I was like, yeah, man, we want to open the first ever full-time mainland China Comic club. And I was like, yo, let's do it. This is right. So, you know, Andy and Turner kind of led the reins. But I was a part of the team, kind of helped make that happen. And we had a big cut in the ribbon ceremony. And, I, you know, got, I got uh, my my face in a frame signed in China at a club. And, wow. and it was crazy, you know. And so China was amazing, man, just because... I was, at the time, probably two and a half years in the comedy. I was doing it in, in Atlanta, move, and I was kind of on my own in a sense. You know, me and David were tight, and I had some other comics. But I was, you know, kind of essentially out there by myself, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so it really pushed me more, I think, than ever. And it was a great time, because I was really young in the game, to um, to think universally. That's one thing I've always... Uh, appreciated about other comics who kind of do that as well and just what I mean by that essentially is just personally for myself I want to be able to take my act anywhere around this globe and make people laugh and make them forget about their woes and their worries for a minute and encourage them and inspire them and bring and bring joy man to them anywhere on the planet and so being there you know you're doing shows great shows I'm talking about I think to this day top three uh top three my favorite shows uh a show in beijing is probably my top three and so being being there and being in a room full of strangers but they're from like 25 30 different countries Mm -hmm. you're like how am i gonna make this this group of people laugh like our pop, our pop references aren't the same. Our cultural references aren't the same. Uh, our, our first languages aren't even the same. And so it really pushed me that year, man, to like think universally and find a common thread and say, all right, well, how can I make this whole room laugh? And so that was a great time. That was a great challenge. A lot of great nights, a lot of bad nights. <laughs> um, but it was, it was a great time, man. I, I'll never forget it for sure.
1: Well, I was going to ask you, how do you adjust the comedy that you're telling for a Chinese audience?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I think um, well, two things. One, um, it was they were, you know, it was all, you know, it was definitely all English, and we're talking about, you know, bilingual uh, young adults there. But then the other half of it was, you know. Uh, probably 50% as well, if not probably maybe 60%. percent were also expats who were living and studying abroad as well. Oh. Um, and so, so it was a, a good combination. but again, you're talking about 25, 30 different countries, you know it's still a very challenging thing to kind of figure out. I think for me, what was uh, made my transition a little easier there was again, I was talking about myself. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean so I didn't have to, I didn't have to adjust 30 minutes of observational human that made sense in America. I was talking about me, my upbringing. So I, I didn't have to adjust as much. And then I kind of add on things of how my life in China as one of the few black people over there uh, <laughs> had impact and this, that and the other. But I was primarily talking about me and my family, about my journey as a, you know, as a person. So I didn't have to adjust a ton. I did kind of have to be mindful of, uh, you know, references in that I had a joke with NyQuil in the punchline, and they did not know what I was talking about. So, mm. you know, just kind of learning on the fly like that.
1: Right, right. Have you been back since you left?
0: No, that's a goal, man, for really the next, you know, uh, 18 and 24 months. I'm trying to trying to connect now with a few, few contacts. So it's really blown up since I've left. I left 2013, and in the last four years, not just China, but Asia. Like, from all the, you know, China... Has a couple clubs now, Vietnam, Thailand, Philippines. Like it's a great, you know. There's you know comedians looking to kind of do work in Asia for a little bit. They've got a great festival, the Hong Kong Fest. Uh, It's a lot of great things happening in Asia right now. It's comedy scene for sure.
1: That's crazy though to think that. I mean, that's your legacy. That's what you left over there. I mean, you you helped create that.
0: You know, it was it was, it was was real, you know, I'm grateful for the opportunity because, uh, you know, it wasn't a lot going on. Like, I think when I got there, it was like maybe a mic or two, um, you know, for the whole week, you know what I'm saying, things like that. And so uh, the team was a great team, man. I mean, great people who were hungry and great comics. And so it is something I always take pride in, it's something I always remember. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to getting back over there soon. And I know a few of them are still there. Uh, William, he's here in Atlanta now. Turner, he's uh he's in New York crushing it. Um there's definitely a few comics over there who's doing great things still.
1: That's very cool. And that's such a unique way, you know, to get better is to go and make your comedy universal in a sense.
0: Yeah, I think I mean for myself I'm just like, yo, I mean America and you know what I'm saying ain't isn't the only place where, you know, people want to laugh. And so
1: mm-hmm.
0: I'm 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 really I'm trying to I'm trying to you know, put some things together now to kind of make uh, some more international splash. So I'm definitely looking forward to those opportunities to blow up in the next year or so.
1: That's so true, though. I love that statement. America, you know, is not the only place that wants to laugh. It, all over, needs comics, needs comedy. And so it's great that it's people like you and the other people you were mentioning who are forming these clubs in areas that don't have these comedy clubs. So you are outreaching all this comedy to areas that don't have them. So that's soup. That's, that's really awesome. That's, super I cool. mean,
0: I, I think it just makes sense. I mean, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, problems going on around the globe and, you know, laughter. I, you know, there's been many times comics would tell you, like somebody comes up out there showing like, yo, this is what I need. Thank you for making my night. This has been great. This is exactly what made me feel better. You know, things like that. And so there's definitely a deeper purpose behind it than, just you know, jokes, if you will.
1: Right, right. Yeah, no, you're totally right. It's very true. Um, so yeah, well, that story met my expectations. It exceeded Excellent. my expectations because <laughs> that was that's that's such a unique thing. And that's why when I was on your website and I was reading it, I was like what does this mean? <laughs> so, yeah. so I, I had to talk to you about it. Uh, but now, uh, let's talk a little bit about fourth and 10, which is your sports mm. podcast with David. Yeah. Uh, so tell me how did fourth and 10 get going? How to get started.
0: Yeah. So after China, uh, we moved to Dallas for a year to stay with my wife's folks and then we moved back to Atlanta. And so when I came back, you know, I definitely had to connect back with David. And so, he had uh, started him and, and Nate and kind of the 4th District uh, the network that the podcast is, is under the umbrella of. They had to like an episode or two, you know. And so I was like, yo, what's good? And he was like, yo, man, I'm trying to thing out this podcast. It's kind of about sports. Would love for you to hop on. I was like, ah, podcast? I don't know. <laughs> you know, at that time, only like 40 people had a podcast. Now it's like every other person. It's true. But um. But uh, no disrespect, it's all good. We both got
1: one. <laughs> no, it, so- look, look, look. It is. It is. That is one of the truest things I have ever. It's like I feel like every single person. You could talk to a homeless man, and he could tell yep. you that he has a podcast. Everybody has a podcast now. Everybody
0: got one, yo. And Amen, <laughs> yeah. Amen. Um, but so he's like, I right, hop on it. I'm like, all right, I I'll hop on it. So I go on it, and I was like, all right, man, I'm probably gonna do it for like two episodes. That's what I'm kind of telling him already. So I do it for two episodes. And it's pretty fun. And I think I'll take like a couple weeks off and I come back. And then an episode where I come back, I just had a blast and I was like, oh, okay, I think this is something. And so, you know, it's been, it's been like, you know, two years and, um, and it's just been, it's been a journey. What's, what's been interesting about the podcast is, you know, it's, it's 10 topics, three comedians, you know, what I'm saying one podcast. And, and it's really evolved from where it was like very sports heavy to where now sports is just like the, the icing on the cake like we everything starts off with sports but it never stays about sports and so i think that's you know we've grown you know our numbers you know have done you know very well and so i think one of the biggest things people have said you know especially uh non sports fans men and women they've been like yo like this podcast isn't just about sports it's just funny it's entertaining i'm heading to work i'm changing you know i'm doing laundry on a saturday Whatever the case may be, it's just a fun hour to kick back, laugh, you know what I mean? And so it's been really encouraging just to kind of hear the feedback about, you know, people who've listened to the podcast and kind of have evolved with us.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, listening to you talk about your comedy career and your life as a whole, it's kind of weird to hear how many of the things that you guys do for 4th and 10 have like, I guess, come from... How you grew up, like you mentioned the top ten list, and now I realize you wanted to be a sports anchor, and you get mm-hmm. to talk about sports. Like everything's coming full circle.
0: Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> you said that, and I was like, "Oh yeah, that's right, Max. That, that, that is what happened." <laughs> uh, you know what I'm saying? But it is. It's been. I mean, I think for for all for uh, all of us, and we've got our, our engineer uh, Dan Deacon as well, who, who's great as well. Can't do it without him. And so all of us loving sports and had played sports, and then. You know, especially David, myself, and Nate as comedians. It just became a great just conglomeration, man, where we just kind of all fell together at the right time. And, you know, it's just been it's been a blast. I mean, we've, we've done, you know, a few really cool things from, you know, throwing out a first pitch at a minor league baseball game, which is small but thoroughly exciting. Yeah, for sure. To having sure. A, a live 100-episode, uh, uh, you know, here in Atlanta, which was crazy fun. And... Um, you know, to having to having really cool guests on the show, and we got some really cool guests hopefully lined up for this year, and so we're just we're just excited about what's kind of coming up for Fourth and Ten. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean it's a great show, and I love Terry. I mean David when we talked about it, um, he was so funny because he was telling me how he wasn't a sports guy at all. And, like, he <laughs> he he would have to text his brother and be like, what happened this week? Like, he, he wouldn't understand yeah. anything. So I think that's it's cool of how passionate he is, and I can definitely tell how passionate you are. So that's, you know, that that's the recipe for success right there is being passionate about it.
0: Yeah, that, I mean, it, 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 it drives it for sure. Just, you know, David – David David comes in about 30% prepared, but that's that's one of the things that makes the show great. Uh, and his, Dave, his brother is fantastic too, but the passion and, and the drive, especially when the feedback, you know what I'm saying, has been so great. Like, it's just like, wow, I can't, I really can't believe, I was telling Nate, uh, we did a show together the other day, I was like, I really can't believe that people listen to this podcast continually. Like mm-hmm. Like, people actually are like optimistically waiting for the podcast to drop on the Wednesday. And it's just like, this is crazy, you know what I mean, and that just fuels the fire, you know, to be passionate, to be great, to put out, you know, another great product, you know, what I'm saying week after week.
1: Right. Oh yeah, for sure. Um. So, so let's see. Uh, what I want to ask you, and this is kind of like a, this is kind of like a heavy question. So. All right. You know, if, all right. If you wanna, if you wanna take a second, it's okay. I give you permission. Yeah. Uh, so for you, when it comes to stand up, and really not, not stand up. Alone, but stand up the podcast and just your mm. life. uh What's your ultimate goal? Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: I think uh, I, mean, I think my ultimate goal. Uh, I, mean, I think it's honestly to be one of the best ever. I think that's that's probably the you know the biggest goal. Is like I you know people and no no knock against them, but they do stand up early. They you know maybe they love improv as well or sketch as well. Or they really wanna or they're doing stand up but they really wanna be an actor or whatever the case may be or late night writer, whatever. But for me right now, man, I'm just like I wanna be I wanna be one of the best stand up comedians of all time. Mm -hmm. And so so that just kinda pushes me to do everything pretty much what I do professionally. And so, you know, I mean I would love all the extra stuff that comes with it, you know, not that saying any of it'll come with it, but uh, that's my ultimate goal. I teach full-time right now as well. So I pretty much have two jobs and a wife and three kids. And so I, I stay busy. I stay tired, but I stay fueled because I love what I do. Um, You know what I mean? When I kind of quote unquote clock out uh, of Clark Kent. And so, um, you know, it's, it's definitely a thing that, that fuels me for sure. And so that's my ultimate goal.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, look, that's a good goal. That was, Uh, you know what? That was the right answer. Good work. (laughs) Good work. So now as, as the final thing that I want to ask you as we start to wrap up the interview, Mm -hmm. uh, and this is a question that I like to ask all of my guests and I like to ask because everybody has a different perspective. Everyone's come from a different background. So, so it's just really unique to hear what people say. Uh, so Mm -hmm. my question for you is if you were to give one piece of advice, to somebody who eventually wants to be in your shoes, what piece mm. of advice would you give them?
0: Outwork mm. uh, everybody else. You know what I'm saying? Like that's, that's been probably one of my biggest things. I've uh, I've kind of just stuck with like outwork everybody else. And what I mean by that is you hit, you started out, you hit all the mics, you know what I mean? You hit the mics, you write, you write, you listen to your sets, you revise, you edit, you hit the mics, you repeat. You know what I mean? And as you grow, you know, you keep your head down, you know what I'm saying, head to the plow, and you just try to outwork everybody else, man. You might not, you know, I think there's an element of, you know, both talent, like natural talent, you know what I mean, but then also, like, like determination and, like, drive to improve, and I think there's a, a combination of that right there. Like, someone may be kind of just that funny guy or girl who's just already naturally funny, you know, but... That only goes so long if you're not putting in the work to continue to hone your craft. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, putting in that work to really, to really, (laughs) to really kind of push yourself is what's going to lead to longevity. What's going to lead to ultimately you continue to just excel and be successful. Because rest assured, the people who you start with won't all be there as you continue. They'll fall off left and right. Not necessarily for bad reasons, but for whatever reason, and and you'll see who kind of really wants it, and so it's gonna be people who's like, yo, I'm ready to put in the work.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, look, I totally agree. Once again, that was the correct answer, so good work. Uh, b- but but yeah, for sure, I I definitely agree with everything that you were saying there. Now, uh, Damon, if people want to see you perform somewhere or if they want to keep up with you in your comedy career and, most importantly, if they want to learn more and listen to 4th and 10, how can they learn more about you and how can they check out 4th and 10?
0: Sure, sure, sure. You can uh, check me out, com. That's the website uh, for dates and uh, things like that. Or you can get me on social media as well, Twitter. Uh, That's... uh, at Damon jr d-a-m-o-n-j-r instagram Damon jr number two um uh, the number um and so fourth and 10 as well you can check that out on you know apple uh you got itunes fourth com that's fourth f-o-r-t-h fourth com or even if you already kind of know about blog talk radio that's another one as well and so any of those things will all lead back one to the other, but if you know if you're a fanatic, um, then you definitely can can jump around for sure.
1: Cool, yeah. So definitely, I highly, highly recommend checking out Fourth and Ten because it is an awesome show. Um, well, Damon, I want to go. I want to thank you for for being on the show tonight. I mean, you know, we talked about there's there's hundreds of millions of podcasts out there, but you picked this one to come be a guest on. So thank Thanks. you.
0: I appreciate it, man, for sure. I had a blast. And, uh, you know, definitely, uh, definitely appreciate you letting me come on and just kind of share a little bit.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I learned a lot. And the stories that you tell are amazing. I mean, I will tell lots of people about how you started the very first comedy club in China. Because that that's a unique thing to put on your resume. That's a good one. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so thank you again for, Damon, to being on the show. And remember, to anyone listening, you can find us at our website at www.talkinglatenight.com. You can also find us on Facebook at Talking Late Night. And you can find us on iTunes where you can rate and leave us a review. So thanks again for, Damon, to being on the show. Thank you for listening.